This is generational sin, part two. Okay, we're in Genesis chapter 27 this morning. Praise God that he put man's faults in the Bible, right? Because what if it were just the good stuff? We wouldn't learn anything, would we? There's a bunch of people that are broken in here, and he writes down the brokenness of them to point that, hey, you may need a savior. You may need, and it's not man. And that's what the Old Testament is all about. So when we get into the Old Testament, it is all about um, man can't add up. Well, let's, let's elevate man. Let's turn him into a king. No, nope, he's still not going to add up. The people are going to fall away. I'm going to select a specific people. No, nope, they're not going to add up. Uh, but through that, he narrows his promises down to one specific person, which is Jesus Christ. And he does not mess up. He is holy. And he is a loving God that died on the cross and rescues us from this present evil age. So the main point for this morning is if mom eats onions and dad eats garlic, what do you think the kid's breath's going to smell like? And that is an old Jewish um, saying, or it would be a, a Jewish way to say that in saying that generational sin is going to follow from mom and dad. Now, um, so what does that mean? If we're left unchecked, it means we have a pretty good idea where we're going to turn out if we look at ourselves through our parents' lives, right? And Jake, in Jacob's case, we do not see a heart change in his life until he spends the night wrestling with God in chapter 32. So we got a long time before we're going to be talking about uh, Jacob turning to Israel and uh, walking with God and things. Even in, in Joseph's day, um, we'll see a little bit of Israel show up um, named as Jacob. So he struggles with some of the same things that his father and mother do. And it gives us a good lesson this morning to see that how we can break some of those chains when we see those. So we're going to turn to Genesis chapter 27. And we're going to read the first 17 verses. It says, One day, when Isaac was old and turning blind, he called for Esau, his older brother, or, yeah, and said, his older son, excuse me, and brother one, right? His older son had said, my son. Yes, my father, Esau replied. I am an old man now, Isaac said, and I don't know when I may die. Take your bow and a quiver full of arrows and go out to the open country and hunt some wild game for me. Prepare my favorite dish and bring it here for me to eat. Then I will pronounce the blessing that belongs to you, my firstborn son, before I die. But Rebekah overheard what Isaac had said to his son Esau, so when Esau left to hunt for the wild game, she said to her son Jacob, Listen, I overheard your father saying to Esau, Bring me some wild game and prepare me a delicious meal, and then I will bless you in the Lord's presence before I die. Now, my son, listen to me. Do exactly as I tell you. Go out to the flocks and bring me two fine young goats. I'll, I'll use them to prepare your father's favorite dish and then take the food to your father so he can eat it and bless you before he dies. But look, Jacob replied to Rebekah, my brother Esau is a hairy man and my skin is smooth. What if my father touches me? He will see that I'm tricking him and then he will curse me instead of bless me. Then his mother replied, then let the curse fall on me, my son. Just do what I tell you. Go out and get the goats for me. So Jacob went out and got the young goats for his mother. Rebekah took them and prepared a delicious meal just the way Isaac liked it. Then she took Esau's favorite clothes, which 
were in the house and gave them to her son, younger son, Jacob. She covered his arms and the smooth part of his neck with skin of the young goats. And then she gave Jacob the delicious meal, including freshly baked bread. As we said it before, we'll say it again. If the mom eats onions and the dad eats garlics, what do you think the kid's breath will smell like? My first point this morning is don't give to get. Don't give to get. What do you mean by that, Pastor? Well, it's when you get something to you give something to get something. Well, I'll give you this. It's kind of like trading, right? Uh, it's a bartering system. We don't barter when it comes to love. When it comes to love, we give to give. If they hurt us, we continue to give love. If they, um, if we hurt them, they continue to love. That's what true love is. That is unconditional love. That's what the love of the Father God gives to us, right? Even though we sin against him, he continues to love us and pursue us as um, prodigal sons, lost sons, right? So family dynamics, they can be tricky. There's a lot of hurt and pain, and they can come, that can come with a broken family, whether it's through addictions or whether it's through... Um, a bad example set for you in the, in the beginning and things like that. There is a lot of things that we need to work on. And on the other hand, when a family walks with the Lord, there can be a lot of joy and strength and peace and discipline and knowledge and grit and faithfulness that can come out of a loving family that puts God first. Here we see Isaac struggling to get things right. As the father of his family, he should be setting the best example for his family to follow. And this is just not the case we find um, in Isaac's life. There are some high highs that we have, but there's some mediocrity that walks with Isaac and that he could be doing a better job. So he should be setting that best example. And Isaac tells Esau to go out and get some of the game then I will give. Then I will give you my blessing. So if you give me this, then I will get this. There's a give, give and take relationship that is not um, biblical. Um, Isaac should have just gave Esau the blessing, but as you see, that does, is not the case, and it really wasn't God's plan, right? We knew that from the very beginning, and I think that's where we see a little bit of this defiance in Isaac as well. When he heard the blessing from to Rebekah that the older will serve the younger, he goes right in, and you'll see it in the blessing today. He gives him the Lord's blessing, and um, it wasn't his to have. And so that's where I find a little bit of the defiance, the rebellion in Isaac. Whenever we give to get, we instill in our children a reward system of conditional love. This will wreak havoc on their future relationships and drive them down the path of self-righteousness, right? Because we think when we do good works, then we will get a reward for our good works. And that's simply just not true. We have to surrender to God's grace and then we work out of that because of God's grace. We want to do good works, okay? If after the heart changes, then we will see um, the things that the Lord has for each one of us. So 
Um, the father, fathers, if you pursue your children with a give-to-get mentality, you will lose your ch children due to this conditional love. Okay? If you mess up and then you go, well, I'm just going to buy you this new teddy bear and that makes everything all right, that teddy bear turns into an, a phone and turns into a car, turns into the next and the next thing. And that just doesn't work like that because it's conditional love and they all, will always say that, well, if you love me, you would give me this. And it comes back to haunt you to where it's um, the cat in the cradle with the silver spoon, right? You guys ever heard that song before? And... It says, when you're coming home, son, I don't know when, but we'll have a good time then, right? And so they're pursuing the wrong thing. They're pursuing things of this world, possessions, um, maybe even relationships with their parents, but not God. So as we see here in the case, Jacob was quick to, de to deceive his father in receiving that blessing because he knew that was the only way that he was going to get it uh, through, with his mother's help and encouragement. He was quick to follow his mother, Rebecca, and allow the curse to fall on her. Well, what if this happens? Well, let the curse fall on me. Well, what does Rebecca know? She knows that the younger is supposed to serve the older, doesn't she? And she can say that with a pretty bold statement because this is a statement that comes from the Lord. She knows she's not going to get cursed because this is how it was supposed to be in the first place. And so, uh, though she does it through deceptive means, she does it um, with the, I don't know, I can't really say with the blessing of the Lord, but knowing that it's going to fall into the Lord's blessing. You know, she's trying to help the Lord out, which we talked about, and we will talk about more, right? So how do we combat this conditional love? Well, we do it with unconditional love, Right? We develop a spirit that is a give-to-give give attitude. Give-to-give, give, unconditional surrender. First, we give to the Lord our unconditional surrender. What does that look like? It looks like giving God the glory, giving God the praise. When we accept something, we, we talked about this on Thursday. We talked about this last week. And those kids, I said, well, what if you win that volleyball game and you get done and you're just so excited about this and, and I could see a couple of them just really puffing up because actually they did win that volleyball game. They served on game point. And I said, you come up to after the interview, after the game, and they says, wow, look at what you did. How great are you? What are you going to say? And they said, thank you. Yes, I am pretty great. And I said, and you missed the point right? Because God deserves that glory. Our whole culture tells us to take that fame for yourself. Take it in. That is you, right? Why? Because that's how Satan fell from heaven, good folks. I'm going to take that praise. I'm going to siphon just a little bit off and just a little bit more, a little bit more, and that's how Satan fell from heaven. And as we see that today, that is our culture. Our secular culture is all about making you the glorious one until you lose your beauty, lose your talent, lose whatever, and we see the fall of the giant. We see the disintegration of the beauty. Whatever happened to that actress, she, not, she doesn't do anything well. She either got more work done or she um, is not 
pretty enough for Hollywood anymore. Right? We see it everywhere. So we need to surrender those things that the Lord has already given to us back to the Lord so we can use those things for his good. And then we need to surrender it to our neighbor. How can we pick up our neighbor? How can we help them have self-confidence and go through? It says in John 15, 13, it says, There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. This is the idea that it's time to get up off the couch and serve your family and your neighbors sacrificially. That's one thing I love about the food pantry. It gives us an opportunity to get up off that couch and serve, right? But we don't serve because we want to give to, for them to say, wow, you just did an amazing job there. I can't believe what White Rose... No, the Lord has done an amazing job. God bless you, not shame bless you. And they didn't even sneeze. That's what I always want to say after that. Man, I should probably just cut that one to myself. Anyway, let's keep going, right? So as, as Christ is our example, so we must follow. As Christ is our example, so we must follow. Paul calls us in Romans 12, 1, to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. How does that work? Does that mean that we have to work up to be the sacrifice? No, it means we surrender and then we want to sacrifice our bodies, our talents for the Lord. And it is an amazing thing that we can do. This is a true act of worship, and there is a big difference between those two statements, that the wrong way, which is to do good works, now I get to go to heaven. That's wrong because I've earned that right to get in heaven. That's how it works. That's not what it says in Ephesians 2.8. On the other side, it says that I can surrender to God's grace. Now I can earn rewards in heaven in a sense because of the delight that overflows out of my heart, okay? Because the Spirit is welling up in me, and now I want to do good works. Those are two different things that look very similar that get confused in many, many world religions, not just Christianity, right? Most, most world religions, most religions that are wrong, most cults are works-based systems, if you get so many people to follow you, the pyramid scheme, right, of the Jehovah Witness, you can go with the, um, if you just say how many Hail Marys and things you can get into heaven, that's Catholics, it doesn't work. Lutherans aren't far off different than that, but they have a different, there's, they do point to the Savior a little bit better, right? So when we come in, we need to humble ourselves before the Lord, a give-to-give give mindset is a humble mindset. And we see this in James chapter 4, verses 8 through 7, through 10. Said, it's a new number I've created. Uh, so humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come close to God and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up in honor. How many of you sinned this week? Me. I'm a professional sinner, as I've said before. How many of you asked for forgiveness this week? Right? Hopefully all of us. And that's, that's the hard part. I don't deserve that. I, 
God could never forgive me. That's the attitude, that, that lie that we want to believe. And that is such a lie. Because are your problems too big for God to handle? If they are, then your God is too small, right? You better, you better step back because you're looking at his big toenail, right? Maybe even his little toenail. It ain't happening. God is so much bigger than the proverbial sin boogeyman, right? So praise God for that. So these verses call us into action. If you read the book of James, it always calls you into action because that's the way James was. James was the half-brother of Jesus, and he, for a long time, didn't believe who Jesus was. And it says these verses call us into action to, in, to do the following. Resist the devil. What is the result of resisting the devil? He will flee from you, right? Okay, come close to God, and he will come close to, to you. Okay, wash your hands. In a sense, he's at, calling you to repentance. Okay, so if you do sin, when you do sin, ask for forgiveness. The sooner, the better. Okay, this week, I was struggling with sin this week, and I asked God to repent for repentance right away. I believe that takes the potency of the sin and diminishes it. But then I had to go back and have a heartfelt conversation with God. But I was able to have the heartfelt conversation with God because I was able to come to him right away and say, what I just did, I, I, I just sinned against you. Right? And it helps me to be able to come back right away. I don't want to. I can tell you that right now. I want to be rebellious. I don't want to go there. I just want to, well, he understands. I want to justify that like anybody does, but I don't. And I get sick of my sin, especially after what I preached last week. And I want to um, get rid of that out of my life. I want to get out of that sin pattern that is probably generational sin in my family. Purify your hearts resolve. What can I do next time to stay out of this place? What can I do? It calls for mourning. Mourning of your sin. He gives a grief. He talks about tears and sorrow and deep grief and sadness and gloom. Is that your attitude after you sin? Or are you just kind of like, nah, he'll understand. Does he understand? Not until after the forgiveness is there, I think. And then he's willing to overlook. I don't think God will ever understand sin, okay? And so then we have the bookends. It starts it with this way in this paragraph, and it ends this paragraph. Humble yourself before God and allow him to lift you up. Wow. Does God pull you like, when we're in the muck and we're in the mire of our sin, does he just let us rest there? You're like, yeah, I'll give you a straw so you can go in deeper. Never, never does he do that. God promises to lift us up, to give us a solid foundation. That's why we got to be in God's word. That's why we encourage the reading plan, right? So when we get into those moments, we recall that, hey, David was in a moment like this. He was actually in a moment worse than this. And what did he do? He called on God 
and ask for forgiveness, ask for repentance, and then what can I do to make it right, in a sense, working on restitution? Which with between you and God, I don't know if there is a way to do that, but there definitely is uh, between God and man. I'm, I suppose there's some ways we can do restitution with God would be not to do it again, right? So what are some of the steps that we can take so we don't walk down that path again? But remember, if the mother eats onions and the dad eats garlic, what do you think their kid's breath is going to smell like? Let's continue on and find out. In Genesis chapter 27, verses 18 through 29. So Jacob took the food to his father. My father, he said. Yes, my son, Isaac said. Who are you, Esau or Jacob? Jacob replied, it's Esau, your firstborn. I've done as you told me. This is Here's the wild game. Now sit up and eat so you can have... Give me your blessing. Isaac says, how did you find it so quickly, my son? And notice this statement here. In verse 20, it says, The Lord your God put it in my path, Jacob replied. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Come closer so I can touch you and make sure that you really are Esau. So Jacob came closer to his father and Isaac touched him. The voice is Jacob's, but the hands are Esau, Isaac said. So he did not recognize Jacob because Jacob's hands felt hairy like Esau's. Can you imagine? He was hairy as a stinking goat. That's a lot of hair. Like Esau's. So Isaac prepared to bless Jacob. But are you really my son Esau? He said, yes, I am. Jacob replied. Then Isaac said, now my son, bring me the wild game and let me eat it. And then I will give you my blessing. So Jacob took the food over to his father and Isaac ate it. He also drank the wine that Jacob served him. And Isaac said to Jacob, please come a little closer and kiss me, my son. So Jacob went over and kissed him. And when Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, he was finally convinced that he, and he blessed his son. He said, ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of the outdoors, which the Lord has blessed from the dew of heaven and the richness of of the earth. May God always give you abundant harvest of grain and bountiful new wine. May many nations become your servants and may they bow down to you. May they be your may you be the master over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. All who curse you will be cursed and all who bless you will be blessed. And that last is the Lord's blessing that was passed on to Abraham passed on to Isaac, and now has been passed on to Jacob. So our point number two is helping God out is never the best option. It's never the best option. Again, I put the responsibility on Isaac in this situation. Isaac should have listened to the prophecy that Rebekah received back in chapter 26, that the older will serve the younger. Rebecca sees what's about to happen and she acts under her own power instead of seeking the Lord. That is never good. You see that in the book of Joshua when they go to defeat Ai and he says, yeah, go up, just go up a hundred of you and we, we can take them easy. And they come back with a tail between their legs because they didn't consult the Lord. Anytime they don't consult the Lord in the book of Joshua, it doesn't go well. And guess what? It doesn't go well in the book of Genesis either, right? Jacob, knowing that the birthright is rightfully his, goes along with the plan and 
But notice how Jacob responds to Isaac's question of how did you find this so quickly? In verse 20, he replies, the Lord your God put it in my path. The passage makes it clear the distinction that Jacob has not yet accepted God of Isaac and Abraham as his Lord yet. He has not surrendered. And he will not until the end of 32. You will see a change in the way Jacob speaks and how he refers to things and how he is walking with the peace of God passes understanding. So Isaac is going blind. He is wise enough to check with some of his understanding other senses. He checks Esau's hairy arms. He checks Esau's scent. He listens, but hears Jacob's voice. But the power of hunger and the wild game are enough to convince Isaac that the blessing should go to the boy, to this boy, who to me, that was Esau. Right? He did some checking, but he submitted to the wild game like we talked about last week. Old habits die hard, and we need to always have our guard up against them, always constantly blocking those. Knowing the story, knowing the background, it always surprises me how much Isaac was willing to defy God. He tries to bless the older child. He knows that he's not supposed to. He even says that you... Your brothers will serve you, thinking it's Esau. That is not, that's opposite, again, of what the Lord's blessing is. And he tries to bless the older child. It breaks my heart to hear the blessing that he gives to both Jacob and Esau, and as he gives everything to the first and nothing to the second. Can you imagine how Jacob must have felt knowing that he wasn't going to get anything? knowing that Esau would have had everything. And here he is, he had to deceive his father to receive that blessing. And this blessing was supposed to be for his brother. And by the way, we will read the second blessing of, of Esau later on. In verse 40, it says, the, the Edomites, this are Esau's descendants, they do cast off the yoke of the Israelites. It's actually the house of Judah. And they, the house of Judah, they say arrogantly, we're going to take you over. You need to pay your taxes again. And the Edomites like, you shouldn't do this. And like, oh, we're going to do this. And God uh, allows the Edomites to whip the Jewish people's tails. When the Israelites, are, that's when they're turning away from God, right? We don't know how this would have worked out. What if Rebecca would have been quiet and prayed? What if Isaac would have listened to Rebecca's blessing from the Lord? What if Jacob would have been honest and pursued the Lord and not gone along with the plan in the first place? And what if Esau would have been wise with his decision making? We just don't know. We don't know. This isn't the only time when um, the younger is blessed over the older. You see this when Jacob passes away. He crosses his hands over Ephraim and uh, Manasseh. 
I just read that last night in the Bible, and he changes the blessing, right? The younger will be blessed over the older one. Joseph's not happy about that, but that's how it goes. So, Rebecca, she, what I do know is that Rebecca did try to help out God, that Isaac did not listen to his wife's blessing, and Jacob willingly went along with the plan, and we have family scars ever since. It's always time to do the right thing. It's never a time not to do it. Mark chapter 8, verse 34, I'm going to start in where Jesus starts talking. and says, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, for the sake of the good news, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is there anything worth more than your soul? What a question. And I think he says that and he gets more emphatic as he reads that. All right, well, he won't read it. He'd, he'd probably talk it, right? Discipline equals self-denial and cross-bearing. With discipline, we have discipleship. Discipleship equals self-denial and cross-bearing. Self-denial is to deny ourselves our sin nature. Cross-bearing is to move forward in God's mission and God's purpose under God's vision. There is a battle in this world for every human heart, folks. There's a battle waging for yours and mine right now. When we choose to follow the Lord, we have victory in Christ, and we have a destination of heaven for the victor. Amen? That's what our hope is. That's what we hang our hat on. However, if our mom eats onions and our dad eats garlic, what do you think our kids' breath's going to smell like? Do we have an opportunity to... Uh, change their breath by what we eat? Absolutely. Absolutely. Let's finish the story. Verse 30. It says, As soon as Isaac had finished the blessing... Jacob, and almost before Jacob had left his father, Esau returned from his hunt. Esau prepared a delicious meal and brought it to his father. Then he said, sit up, my father, eat my wild game so you can give me your blessing. But Isaac asked him, who are you? Esau replied, it's your son, your firstborn son, Esau. Isaac began to tremble uncontrollably and said, then who was it? That just before you came, did I bless, or who was it that served me wild game? I have already eaten it and blessed him just before you came. And yes, that blessing must stand. When Esau heard his father's word, he let out a loud and bitter cry. Oh, my father, what about me? Bless me too, he begged. But Isaac said, your brother was here. He tricked me and has taken away your blessing. Esau exclaimed, No wonder his name is Jacob, for now he has cheated me twice. First he took my rights as the firstborn, and now he has stolen my blessing. Oh, haven't you saved even one blessing for me? 
Isaac said to Esau, I have made Jacob your master, and I have declared that all his brothers will be his servants. I have guaranteed him an abundance of grain and wine. What is left for me to give you, my son? Esau pleaded, But do you have only one blessing? Oh, my father, bless me too. Then Esau broke down and wept. Finally, his father Isaac said to him, You may live away from the richness of the earth and away from the dew of the heaven above, and you will live by your sword, and you will serve your brother, but you will dis but when you decide to break free, you will shake his yoke from your neck. From that time on, Esau hated Jacob because of his father had given Jacob his blessing. Esau began to scheme, I will be mourning for my father's death soon. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. But Rebekah heard Esau's plan, so she sent for Jacob and told him, Listen, Esau is consoling himself by plotting to kill you. So listen carefully, my son. Get ready and flee to my brother Laban in Haran. Stay there with him until your brother cools off. When he cools down and forgets what you have, you have done to him, I will send for you to come back. Why should I lose both of you in one day? Then Rebekah said to Isaac, I am sick of these local Hittite women. I'd rather die than see Jacob marry one of them. Let's get to our last point this morning. The smell of sin. This is a book put out by InterVarsity Press, The Smell of Sin and the Fresh Air of Grace. And I can't remember the author's name right off the hand. I looked it up yesterday and I can't remember. But it's put out by InterVarsity Press. It is a great book and uh, something high school on older should definitely read. And it would be fine for junior hires if they can hold it too. The Smell of Sin, The Stench of God in God's knows what does sin cause causes division Esau becomes bitterly enraged Isaac's heart is broken because of sin Esau is desperate for the blessing he squandered away easily over a bowl of soup and some wild game now because his father had a give to get mentality Rebecca is desperate to save her son and the family is split apart and Jacob sent away to a hard life that he's yet to discover. As a reader of the story, my heart is broken. Of course, we have the full picture where they do not. However, if one takes a bit of time to look at other people's needs and serving someone else in their family, they would have realized how much heartache they're about to cause. And God doesn't need help, does he? God doesn't need our help. This is the perfect example where we think we can help God, and this is how it turns out. When we just allow God to work what he has promised us, he will then show up. And of course, our story is not much different, is it? Any act of self-righteousness is an act of rebellion against God. And we know that in Romans 3.23 that all have sinned and fallen God, short of God's glory. We cannot be like God because we are sinful people. We are broken 
and we are in need of a Savior. We are in desperate need of a Savior to rescue us from this present evil age. Jacob is foreshadowing or is a foreshadowing figure of what our lives would be before Christ is in them. Do whatever it takes to deceive to get what we want. That is our culture today. It starts at the top of our culture and it goes down to the bottom. And Christ has called us to come out of that culture and be something different. Kind of like our youth group name, right? Our culture, even our sin nature, is selfish, is defiant, is self-righteous, is distorts, it's distorted image of God, right? Because we were made in the image of God. And when anytime we walk out of that imagery, it is a distortion of that imagery imagery. And the Bible says in Romans 6 23, it says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. What's it mean to say somebody is our Lord? It means that He is in control that we've surrendered to him, we've given felty to him, and that he is in charge. The wage, the wage, the wages of sin is death, right? The wage is a payment for services rendered. Death is our wage, folks, for sin. We deserve this because we have sinned. Our freedom from this burden is the free gift of God. His son, Jesus Christ, died to pay for our sins. And if we need to ask ourselves this question, are we going to be a man pleaser? Or am I going to be a God pleaser? Go Petra. That line, right? James McDonald answers it this way says the main reason why people-pleasing cause so much pain is because it promises something that never delivers. People-pleasing is promising, is promising your, you acceptance and security that will never, ever give you that. Because people-pleasing, pe because people who require you to please them, it's not a about you already it's about them and it will never ever be enough so right at the focal point of jesus's ministry in this this world we have this word freedom 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 died for our sins for our freedom. But sadly, sadly, freedom is the last word that you will, would use to describe a lot of Christians today. Church, we must surrender every day to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Because we know freedom is found in the fresh air of grace right what is grace unmerited favor we don't we can't earn it right we don't get a badge and then we get oh now you get your grace right no we get our grace and then we get the badge 
it's under his authority. When we come to the deep reality that we are sinners, that is the beginning of our spiritual journey, folks. In Romans chapter 6, 15, it says, Sin no longer is your master, for you no longer live on the requirements of the law. You can't earn your salvation. Instead, you live under the requirement of God's grace. It's a free gift. Not that anyone can ask, because that way we are all equal at the foot of the cross. I find delight in that. Where we go from here may be the most important decision of your life. It says in 2 Timothy 1.9, it says, For God saved us and called us to live a holy life separated from sin. Okay, that's what holiness is. He did this not because we deserve it, but because that was his plan from before the beginning of time to show us his grace through Jesus Christ. Praise God. I'm excited. You're like, oh, we can tell. When we discover the beauty of God's grace, it is like a breath of fresh air, renewing our lives to pursue him. And it says in Psalms 103.8, it says, The Lord is compassionate and merciful, slow to get angry, and filled with unfailing love. He will accept us back into the fold every time when we turn away from him. The question is, will you surrender a, to a loving God full of grace today? I cannot make that choice for you. Only you can make that choice for you. You'd say, well, my parents have gone to church all my life. I, I'm, surely I'm, I'm saved. Surely Jesus knows. I've been in church all the time. No, that's not how it works. It's when you swear felty to the Lord in that act of surrender, then you have his grace in your life. Because remember, if your mom eats onions and your dad eats garlic, what do you think the kid's breath's going to smell like? But it doesn't matter when Christ steps in. Amen? When Christ steps in, change can happen. Sometimes it happens overnight. Bam. Done. Sometimes it's a gradual process back to him. Right? But when we understand that that point of surrender is when the power of the Lord and Savior comes into our life, that's when we can see life change. That's what I'm encouraging you to do today. And if you have any questions about that, I would definitely encourage you to talk to me after the service. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your grace. We thank you that we can't do this. Lord, how much more messed up would we be if we had to earn it? We praise you for having the answer before time began before there was even a problem, you knew that you were going to be the redeemer of the world, that you were going to come and die on the cross and rescue us from the present evil age. Lord, that is so hard for us to fathom. But today, I surrender to you. I give back all the talents that I have. My family, I give them back to you. This church my job, I give them to you. I surrender them for your service, Lord. Um, coaching, I give it to you, Lord. My attitude, my pain, my sorrow, I give it to you. You are big enough to hold it all. 
You can have it all, Lord. And Lord, I know as your servant that you will give it back to me to use as a steward to build your kingdom. Allow me to see the path that you have for me as a disciple maker. Heavenly Father, thank you for giving me a disciple making way of life in Christ Jesus. As I go through every part of this day, help me to love you and to love the people who cross my path, starting with my family. Don't let me miss the adventures you are sending my way to live and to speak the good news about Jesus-like disciple-making friendships. By your word and spirit, transform me into a follower of Jesus who loves you and loves people, who makes disciples, who makes more disciples ad infinitum. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You're dismissed.